Well, once again, happy Father's Day to all you fathers and soon-to-be fathers. <laughs> um, if we were to nominate a Father of the Year from this chapel amongst the fathers that are here, I think I would have to say without any doubt that it would have to go to Gary to watch how he shows his love to his son, the incredible things that he has to, and he and Alona, of course, have to deal with. Uh, my, my hat definitely goes off to them, and we need to pray for them. You know, Will is really doing, is struggling, and... Um, but <clears throat> he, uh, he would get my vote. Just real quickly, um, I'd like to uh, just summarize some of the things that happened this last week. And first of all, like Rod had said, I, I want to really uh, express my thanks to all those that had prayed all week long. Those that would want to be here but couldn't and uh, those, like at the home, the Western Assembly's home, they were in constant prayer. And we saw prayer being answered on almost a moment-by-moment -moment basis the whole week. It was incredible. I know coming up to this week, there was a lot of anxiety, even on my part, and I'm just the one that speaks at the end. But Margie kept saying to me, the Lord's going to provide, just, you know, just very calm and assured. And that's exactly what happened. Exactly what happened. Um, the young people here at this assembly, we should all give thanks to them. They stepped up. They helped out with games. They helped out with refreshments. They helped out with crafts. They helped out in the classroom. They did a lot of the running around and that kind of thing. And I'll tell you, uh, we should be extremely thankful this assembly for the young people that God has blessed us with. They really were an encouragement. Also the teachers that stepped up, and some of them, uh, their schedules were such that they couldn't be here the, even in the last day, uh, Friday, but people stepped in and were, was able to carry on. It was tremendous. <clears throat> the crafts were outstanding. I walked in there and I saw all these kids just excited about the crafts and this, they were wearing their hats and, and they were just so uh, proud of, of the crafts that they had made and there was a lot of work done in that area and we thank uh, Christine for that. Refreshments, you know, Rod and Cindy, uh, you know, you try, to make, you try to make refreshments for 140 or 50 kids plus adults. Try that sometime. And you, you, you'll understand what, what they went through. It was, it, was, it was very appreciated. The games. Carol Huey blessed us by uh, coming up and um, taking over, and she did a masterful job. Got the kids excited. Tied in God's scripture with the game. She, it wasn't just a game. She just didn't have them play a game. She tied in a spiritual truth with each game that she did. 
And so the kids were getting from the crafts, from, from their teachers, from, every, from the, the music, the music the kids absolutely loved. And they got it from all these different angles. We were spreading seed like you wouldn't believe, throwing it everywhere, and it took root. And we're so thankful that we had four kids that we know of that made that most important choice of accepting Christ as their Savior. They're on their way to heaven now. Isn't that great? We're going to talk a little bit about that uh, as we go on here. Um, the, the things that helped out, of course, was the sign out front um, from the Awana program. The, the neighbor, people uh, brought their neighbors. Um, and some kids only came one day. Uh, the biggest day was on Tuesday, 142 kids. And then we never saw them again. They never came back. But I'll tell you, that one day, they heard the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and how they can know for sure that they're going to heaven when they die. And so we're so thankful for that. Family members. I have my nephew and his two children who unfortunately are not um, exposed to that much of the Bible. And they came and stayed with Bonnie for the whole week. And <clears throat> they came and were just overwhelmed by what, what, this, what this book's about, this, this Bible. It's, it's God's word. Who's God? And so towards the week when uh, they were going out for uh, dinner in the evening, a hunter was sitting in the back and he was saying, well, the Bible tells us about bad news and then it tells us about good news. Hunter was in Cindy Loman's class. And you could, just, you could just hear him rehearsing what he had learned in class. And he was just in the back seat talking in the car, just talking to himself. The Bible has bad news, and then it gives us the good news. And then it was a science theme, and it was amazing. It was a just it really came together real well as far as tying science into the Bible. For example, science is the, uh, the process of learning by through observation. And so we talk about gravity. The first day was about gravity. Well, can you see gravity? No. But can you see its effect? Yes, you can. Can you see God? No. But can you see his effect on this world? Yes. And so we were able to tie in all these things. And that you could see the kids just getting it, you know, throughout the week. But maybe the biggest answer to prayer was that <sighs> for their For the first time in years, Margie was able to sleep through the night. You see, Margie's affliction, neuropathy, she doesn't go to sleep until about five. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> 
until five or six o'clock in the morning. And so your prayers fell upon Margie and she was able to sleep completely through the night. Sunday night all the way to Thursday night for those five nights. And that's the only reason she had the strength to be able to get up and come here. And so we see the Lord's hand. And then, of course, at the, uh, some of you found out that Friday after we had done all our cleanup and everything, Margie and Kristen had to go out for a doctor's appointment traveling uh, eastbound on the 10 freeway. And uh, the transition to the South 15. And they were slowing down because the traffic was, you know, kind of clogged up there. And they got hit full bore, rear-ended by, I'm thanking the Lord that was just a Prius. <laughs> but <laughs> she got, they were in the Tahoe, but it was an incredible hit. And it, it uh, wrenched Kristen's neck really, you know, severely and, and Margie's back. And uh, we were supposed to have Drake and Sadie in the car, and we're thanking the Lord that, that the Lord worked it out where they weren't in the car because they would have been injured. And so, again, we were just seeing the Lord, his hands on this. And we ask you to continue to pray for these kids. Again, the seed has been sown. It's been put into their heart. Pray that that seed will grow. And then also we have, starting today, we have uh, all-girls camp. Uh, girls camp and then next week we have all boys and then after Yosemite week we have junior teen and senior so continue to pray that the Lord that will still see bless you know will continue to see this blessing um, in these these last times oh I, I fa failed to mention probably one of the most important things and that was that we had air conditioning in the Sunday school it was great <laughs> So, Justin, we can thank Justin for getting that going because uh, in years past, it's just been, oh, no, get 20 fans in there and try to get some semblance of uh, cooling. And uh, that air condition worked out absolutely beautiful. So we have a lot to be thankful for. Um, <clears throat> some of you um, have heard of the Bible teacher Ravi Zacharias. He's a very excellent Bible teacher. And uh, he, he talked about a story about two, two brothers. And we're gonna, that's one of the things that we're going to cover today, about two bro uh, different families that had two brothers. And um, these two brothers were uh, just the absolute worst. They were thieves. They were liars. They were robbers. They were just absolutely the, the pits incorrigible. Well, one of the brothers uh, died, and the surviving brother went to the pastor, and he said, uh, can you take the funeral? And the pastor said, well, yeah, I, I think I can take the funeral. And he says, well, he says one thing, and of course, the pastor knew who these, these two brothers, you know, their background and everything. He knew that they were just the pits. But the brother said, well, one thing I want you to do is during the eulogy, I want you to mention that my brother was a saint. And the pastor thought, 
well, that's a bit of a stretch, but I'll, I'll see what I can do. So here's the funeral, and uh, the pastor's giving the eulogy, and he said, this man in the casket was a scoundrel, he was a liar, he was a thief, he was incorrigible, but compared to his brother, he was a saint. <laughs> um, so that's how he got in that, that part. Um, let's talk about two, two brothers. Well, the first two brothers that we have, of course, is we think of uh, Adam and Eve's two sons, Abel and Cain, the ones that fought. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 4. In Hebrews chapter 4, excuse me, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. 11, chapter 11, and verse 4. And it says in verse 4, By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he, being dead, still speaks. Now, the one was righteous, of course, by exhibiting faith that he offered a sacrifice that required blood. And that's a key to our salvation. You can't have a bloodless gospel. Anytime you share the gospel with anybody, blood must be mentioned. Because the Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there's no taking away of sin. And so when we come to God, we come on the basis, if we want salvation, we come on the basis of the shed blood of his son. Not on anything that we have done. Not anything that we have done will take away even one sin. It's the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That perfect blood that was shed on Calvary, that we can have our sins forgiven. And uh, how, how did Abel know that that was what God wanted? Well, I think what he did is that he observed his, his mother and his dad and the fact that when they were wearing clothes, those clothes came from animals, which, of course, had to shed their blood in order to give up their skins for clothing. And so... Um, he learned this from them, and we can read about that in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 21. But Cain's sacrifice is different. Cain's sacrifice is a picture of trying to earn God's acceptance through personal effort. What did he bring? He brought what he grew. I mean, did he bring a huge carrot or a big watermelon? I don't know what he brought. But whatever it is, it was probably pretty nice. But the problem was, the reason why it wasn't accepted by God is because there was no blood involved. And so his, uh, his sacrifice was not accepted. And of course, as a result of it, uh, he slayed his brother because he was jealous that his brother's was accepted and his was not. And the other thing is, because law hates grace. Let me say that again. The law hates grace. They're two different. What are you saying? When you say the law, what are you talking about? Well, we're talking about the law that was given at Sinai. 
all of those 608 or 13, I think it was, laws that were given, and they were never given as a means to get to heaven. Never were given as a means to get to heaven. They were a measuring stick. They were, for example, if you're not feeling well, in the old days, uh, they don't have them hardly anymore, but in the old days they had a thermometer, went underneath your tongue. And that thermometer told you whether you're well or if you're sick. Now, if you're sick, do you eat the thermometer? No, because it's got something inside called mercury, and uh, that's pretty poisonous. No, the thermometer doesn't make you well. The thermometer just tells you that you're sick. And that's exactly what the law says in the Bible. The, the law tells us that we, are fall, we have all fallen short of God's righteousness. And so we need to be saved. And so the second uh, family that I want to talk about is, is Eli. And let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel Chapter 2, and we'll begin at verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would take from for himself all that the flesh hook brought up. So they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who sacrificed, Give me meat for roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat from you but raw. And if the man said to him, you should really burn the fat first, then you may take as much as your heart desires, he would then answer him, no, but you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Therefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for the men abhorred the offering of the Lord. You know, it really doesn't matter where a family is raised geographically, um, especially if the father is away from the Lord. Um, some people say, well, if I, if I attend Claremont Bible Chapel, then my kids, they're gonna, it's going to be great. They're going to grow up and, and uh, accept the Lord as their Savior and then serve the Lord. That's not true. There's no guarantee that if you bring your kids here to this chapel, that that'll happen? Or any other chapel, for that matter. But it is the responsibility of the parents that they bring their children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord for them to be an example to their children. The, the thing about Lee, uh, Eli, when I was reading this, the priest, 
is you don't read a whole lot about his wife. In fact, you don't read anything about his wife. And just to let you know that when it comes to raising children, <clears throat> when, when we were raising our kids, and of course we were living in Big Bear at the time and commuting down here so twice a week, uh, you know, and so we had a lot of time, Margie and I had a lot of time in the car and just talking over things, discussing things. And we would, we would go over how are we going to train our children? How are we going to discipline them? How lightly or severely or whatever? How are we going to do it? And we talked about this. And then I made sure that I backed up Margie when she disciplined David and Kristen. And then eventually Danny, who was born down here. But the thing is, is that just the other night we were talking about this and Margie had mentioned that. She says, you know, I, I just really appreciated the fact that you always back me up. You never undercut my, you know, my decisions. And for a husband to undercut his wife's decisions on, on uh, disciplining in that sense, that's not a good thing. And the vice versa, that a mother would say, well, just come to me instead of going to dad. No. No, you have to work together. And that's scriptural. That even though it does, says in Ephesians chapter 4 that the father should not provoke the children to wrath, I believe the, the mother is in on that too. And they need to work together and before the Lord decide how they're going to discipline their kids. And of course, I've told you before, before we had kids, Marge and I were absolute experts on how to raise kids. We, re we really were. We would look at other people and say, how come they, what's wrong with these parents? How come they're not raising their, their kids? How come they don't, you know, do this, that, and the other thing? And then we had David, you know? <laughs> and that was, then we stopped saying stuff. And then we had Kristen. And that was, Margie almost was uh, put into an insane asylum. <laughs> Unbelievable things that Margie had to deal with with Kristen, raising her. And then we just threw our hands up and, you know, well, then Danny, you know. Uh, I, I really appreciate that. I don't know if some of you have seen that commercial that, you know, this says first baby and the, the, the mother has gloves on and a mask and everything and you barely, you know, be very careful, wash up before you touch my kid. And then the third baby, she's handing it to some um, auto mechanic that's all full of grease and, you know. Uh, but the thing is, is that the parents need to work together and be on the same page as far as discipline and, and to support one another. So anyways, we have the problem with uh, Eli. And then we have the prodigals, uh, the final, let's turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. And the prodigal son. And starting verse 11. Then a certain man had two sons. And the younger son of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed into a far country, and there wasted his possessions with 
prodigal living. It's interesting that Webster's definition, the, co the collegiate West, um, Webster's dictionary, says the definition for prodigal, given to reckless extravagance, characterized by wasteful expenditure. So we're right on the money here. Verse 14, and when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, but no one gave him anything. But when he had come to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough in despair? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. And will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put out a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what, were these thing, what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your, or your livelihood with harlots, and who have killed the, you have killed the fatted calf for him, and he said to him, Son, you always... You are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. This, of course, is the third parable, the first parable the Lord told the people was of the lost sheep. He, the shepherd had 100 sheep. One of them went astray. He left the 99 and went out and found the lost sheep. Second time was that it was a lost coin. And the woman swept the whole house to find that lost coin. And everybody you can imagine was getting involved in these stories. And yeah, I understand that. I can see what you're talking about and that sort of thing. And then the Lord lowers the boom. Because this particular story about the prodigal son was directly aimed at the Pharisees. 
who thought that they were righteous. But see, here's the, here's the thing. They always viewed themselves as slaves to God, as employees. And they couldn't see that God, the Father, viewed them as sons and, and invited them to be partakers. They, they always considered themselves as, as, like I said, as slaves. And it's interesting that the son, when he finally came to himself, he said, you know what? Being a slave is not a bad idea. Yeah, I think I'd like to be a slave. In fact, I'm going to go back there and ask if I could be, ask my father if he'd, he'd make me a slave. But that's not the, the heart of the father was his love not only to the prodigal son, but also to the older son. The one who see, saw himself as like the law, you know, I've, I've done all your commandments. I've just obeyed you, obeyed you, obeyed you. But you know what? He never had the joy of being part of that family. He never experienced that. And maybe some people here today don't have that assurance of salvation. They don't have the joy that, it's, that comes with knowing that Christ has died for us and that he shed his blood and that through faith in that shed blood, we have forgiveness of sins. Not only forgiveness of sins, not just, it's not just a matter of going to heaven when you die. If, if that's all you think about, uh, about Christianity, you've got a lot to, to look forward to because you become an heir of God, a joint heir with Christ. And that's incredible. We have so much, and they say, well, yeah, that's when I die, but what about down here? No, we can enjoy it down here. I can enjoy the hope. See, the Bible talks about hope. And it's not a hope that, well, I, I just hope it'll happen. No. Someone has defined hope as the present enjoyment of a future certainty. I'll say that again. Hope, as well as defined by the Bible, is the present enjoyment, you enjoy it right now, of a future certainty. And so that's what Christ offers us. This future hope. You know, why did the, when, when the Lord was talking about this prodigal son, you can imagine the Pharisees, these Jewish people listening to this and how this Jewish boy went and partied and lost all his father's money. And then, because he was so desperate, he took up a job feeding pigs. That's, the, I mean, you, you were, the law says you stay away from uh, pigs. No bacon, you know, you can't have bacon or ham or anything like that. You stay away from those things. You stay away from that. But here, this prodigal was taking care of pigs. And then to make it even worse, he had to fight the pigs for food. I mean, you talk about being low. That's as low as you can get in their minds. And you know, some people have to get that low before they finally look up and say, Lord, I realize I'm a sinner. I realize that. I realize I've been going the wrong way. I've been doing my own thing. I, thought, I think that just by being a good person, that uh, that'll somehow earn me your acceptance. And the Lord says, no, it won't. 
No, it won't. You need to come to me by faith. And so it's interesting also that this father never sent money to the far country. He never, when he heard that his son was out of money and that sort of thing, he didn't go after them. He waited until he got to his absolute lowest spot and that he came back and showed repentance. If he would have sent money there, what would have happened? The son would have stayed there. And sometimes we as parents, when we see our, our children struggling with all kinds of problems and, and making wrong decisions, which is exactly what this guy did, he made a wrong decision, we want to go out and help them. No. The Bible says don't do that. Let them hit rock bottom. And then, when they have come to themselves and they showed true repentance, and true repentance this young man, prodigal, showed, he came back. And it's interesting, it says, he says, give him a robe. Now, a robe is, first of all, the Lord... He didn't get the robe right then. You know, a lot of people say, well, they brought the robe as he was meeting the son. No, no, the son got cleaned up first, but then he had the best robe put on him. See, the Lord Jesus Christ has to cleanse us from our sins before, and, and in doing so, we receive his righteousness. You see, when we stand before God, he's not going to ask you how nice of a father you've been or a mother or brother or sister, and, and how many people you helped across the street. That, that, that means nothing to him. He's going to ask you one question and one question only. What did you do with my son? Did you completely trust him for your salvation? And if you did, then you're going to, be, you're going to have that robe of righteousness, and that's the only garment that will be allowed into heaven. And so that's the robe. And then we talk about the ring. The ring signifies our standing in Christ. We're co-heirs with him, and we don't have time. We're almost out of time. In Galatians 3.29, Titus 3.7, 1 Peter 3.7, it talks about that we're co-heirs with God. And that's the, that's the indication of a ring. <clears throat> and then shoes. He puts shoes on his feet. Well, the Bible talks about that in Ephesians 6, about that's the preparation of the gospel. Once a person gets saved, the, one of the first things that they want to do is tell others about the Lord. You can't stop them. In fact, one, of the, um, one incident happened this last week. Uh, it was on Tuesday, and uh, one of the parents came to my daughter Kristen who teaches, uh, taught first, first grade, and she says, what are you teaching the kids in class? Right away going, oh, okay, you know. She said, well, we talked up yesterday, uh, on Monday, we talked about uh, Genesis and, and how God created the heavens and the earth and, and that sort of thing, and, and, that, and she just kind of described it. She says, well, you know, I've been teaching my kid the same thing. And I can't get that kid to tell anybody about the Lord. But today, when we went, uh, or Monday, after VBS, uh, we went to the park. And my child was telling all the people, all the kids at the park about the Lord Jesus. <laughs> from what 
from what they heard in VBS. So what happens when a person gets saved? They want to tell everybody about the Lord. And then finally, the fatted calf. That speaks to us of fellowship. And we enjoy that fellowship. See, we have the relationship. The moment you accept Christ as your Savior, you're born into God's family. That can't be reversed, and that can't be changed. You're a son, you're a daughter of God for the rest of eternity. But the enjoyment of it, see that prodigal son, why did he come back? Why didn't he stay with the pigs? Because he wasn't a pig. If he was a pig, he would have stayed with the pigs. But he wasn't a pig, he was a son. He always was a son. And that's why he came back. And then the fellowship was restored. So this morning, as we think on some of these thoughts, remember that the Lord, the greatest father in the whole universe, has wayward children. He does. And he's the greatest father. But as parents, it's our responsibility to raise our children with this guidebook right here. And the best way to show them is first of all to make sure that you have Christ as your savior and that you know for sure that you're on your way to heaven, that you have that robe of righteousness that God gives you the moment you ask him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We think of this story of the prodigal son and, and Father, how he came back, but yet the older son, Father, he always viewed himself as being a slave, and yet, Father, he was not enjoying the fact that he was a co-heir. So, Father, I pray this morning that the thoughts that you want us to remember through your spirit will be remembered. And, Father, we want to thank you so much that you are our heavenly Father, that you love us, you care for us, even when we go astray. You're always looking out the window, waiting for us to come home. Father, we want to thank you also for the tremendous work that was accomplished last week here in the Vacation Bible School. And we pray, Father, that the word that was given out will continue to work in the hearts of these young kids, that they will, first of all, accept Christ as their Savior, but then, Father, that they will live a life that pleases you, that they'll tell their friends about the Lord. We also pray, Heavenly Father, for the camps that are coming up for all girls starting today and all boys next week and then junior, teen, and senior. Father, we pray that the seed will continually be spread and that we'll see many young people come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for this in your son's name. Amen.